Good. You probably heard the story of the man, the, mission, the explorer who is traveling in Africa and he came across a clearing. And in this clearing, there was a huge bull elephant lying on its side and a very little man standing on top of it with a club and a big lump of wood. And he, the elephant had obviously just recently been killed. And the explorer said to the little man, he said, uh, what's going on here? And the man said, I, I, I've killed this elephant. I did it with my club. And the explorer said, you did it? Look, you're only a little tiny man. You're not a big, strong man. You're a small man, and your club is so small. How on earth could a person like you kill such a big elephant? You're just little. He said, yes, but my club is 50 people. <laughs> now, I mentioned, that. I, tr I mentioned that because sometimes we need to get an understanding of words. Sometimes we misuse words. Words are important. They're important in the Bible. And we are thinking today about response to the gospel. Let me get the clicker. I've left it over here. Thank you, Alan, if you put the first one. Response to the gospel. We talked in the four weeks ago in relationship with the gospel. Then we talked about respect for the gospel. Then we spoke about relevance of the gospel. That's three weeks prior to last weekend when church was away on a church weekend. And today we're thinking of responding to the gospel. Responding to the gospel. Now, right at the beginning, I want to say this. What does it mean? What does the word gospel actually mean? Because how can we talk about responding to the gospel if we uh, don't fully understand what we mean by gospel? That's why I said that words are important. What does it mean, the gospel? Well, Christians are often great at reducing simple things to make them complicated and difficult to understand. Complicated processes or complicated formulas and so on. But the word gospel simply means good news. That's what it means. It means good news. And uh, we're talking about responding to good news. That's what we're talking about today. How do we respond to good news of the gospel? It's got nothing to do with whether you're a Calvinist or following John Calvin or Jacobus or Minius or whether you're a Eastern Orthodox person or a Catholic person or a free church person or an independent church person. It's got nothing to do with all those things. The gospel is good news. That's what we are responding to. And the gospel should be presented as good news. You know, just 18, 18 miles south of where we're sitting here is a little village called North Nibley. It's next to Dursley. And in North Nibley, there is the monument to William Tyndale. You can see it as you drive down the motorway, the Tyndale Monument on the hill. Mon uh, Tyn William Tyndale was the first scholar to translate the Bible, particularly the New Testament, the Bible, into English. First one to do it and publish it like that. And Tyndale's monument helps us remember that. He was burned at the stake. He was first of all strangled, tied to the stake. Then he was strangled. Then he was burned at the stake on the 6th of October, 1536. 
Ten years before that, the New Testament, the full text of the New Testament was published in English for the first time. And in that, William Tyndale wrote a preface to the New Testament. And the preface talks about what the gospel means, what it is. This is what he says. The gospel signifies good, merry, glad, and joyful tidings that make a person's heart glad and makes him sing and dance and leap for joy. That's what the gospel means. Far from being dull, I'll tell you something, you wouldn't know that from most churches, or many churches. Perhaps I'm a bit rude saying most churches. Robert Louis Stevenson once put in his diary, I went to church this morning and I was not depressed. Which sort of signifies that that would be his normal expectation of going to church. Tyndale gave his life for the gospel. And he died at the age of 42. But it was such good news he thought it was worth dying for. The gospel is good news. And the Bible repeatedly echoes that thought again and again. That the gospel is joyful, it's happy, it's delightful. It's a glad note of the gospel. How beautiful on the mountains are those are the feet of those who bring good news, who publish peace and bring good news of happiness, who publish salvation, says Isaiah 52. And we recall at Christmas time, perhaps at other times too, the angels who said, do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy. That'll be for all the people. And no wonder it says a little bit later on that the shepherds, when they heard all about this, they left the hillside and they returned home glorifying and praising God for all they'd seen and heard. Because it was glad, it was good news, it was delightful, it was something to sing and dance and leap for joy about. That's what the gospel is. It's like the story of the man at the beautiful gate of the temple. When the disciples were going into the temple one day, after Jesus had died and ascended back to his father, Peter and John were going into the temple, and there's a beggar man there. And uh, through the encounter they, he had with Peter and John, he was healed. And it says about him, he went with the disciples into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And that, in that joy, that infectious joy, spilled over to the people all around in the temple. And they too began to be filled with wonder and amazement, it says in the New Testament. Of course, that all caused quite a stir in the temple of those days. And the authorities arrested the disciples. You can read about this in Acts chapter 4. The disciples arrest, were arrested and hauled before the courts, the high priests and the courts of those days. And they began to question Peter and John. And this is how Peter responded to the court. If we are being called to account for a kindness shown to a cripple, and are being asked how he was healed, know this, that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now notice something. He speaks, first of all, a cripple who is healed. That's the word that he used. It's in our New English translation. And he said there's no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. Now that word healed and that word saved are the same word in the New Testament. What it means is that when God is at work, whether it's physical healing or whether it's spiritual healing from the disease of our sinfulness, ultimately it's the same thing. It is God restoring man to be what he should be. 
That's what it's all about. That's good news to rejoice over. That's good news to sing and dance and leap for joy over. Some churches, they do it physically, of course. They do come together and sing and dance and leap together. But we don't often do that here, but if you want to do it, well, feel free. But that's uh, what it means. Now, let me put it this way. If you've got the idea that Christianity is rather dull, and the gospel is dry and dull and boring and somewhat sad, then all I can say is you've not got the right thing. You haven't known the real McCoy, as they say. No wonder Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And he goes on to say, for this reason, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. In fact, he says, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. Well, of course, it's good news. He wants to tell everybody. It's so delightful. And again and again in the Bible, the same theme runs through in the prophets in the Old Testament. And then the disciples and the apostles in the New Testament. They say, I've got to preach it. I can't hold it in. Not because of some outward legislation that the church says, now you've got to go and preach this message. But because the, go- the gospel was such, such good news and they couldn't hold it in once they knew about it. Like Jeremiah, he said, God's word is in my heart like a raging fire. I might want to hold it in, but I can't. It has to burst out. Or like Peter at that time at the temple gate, as I was saying, when that man was healed. And they were hauled before the authority. They were told not to preach again in the name of Jesus anymore because it caused trouble. And Peter replied to the judge, judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you or obey God. In other words, you must decide what you think. But we cannot help speaking of what we've seen and heard. Of course not. Because it's such great news. The Bible is good news. The great missionary statesman E. Stanley Jones in India talked about when he, would, he became a Christian and was converted, and he says, when I met Jesus, I felt that I'd swallowed sunshine. <laughs> Isn't that lovely? I felt I'd swallowed sunshine. It was so great to me. Billy Sunday once said, if you cannot find joy in your Christian life, you've got a leak somewhere. <laughs> C.S. Lewis says, joy is the serious business of heaven. So be joyful. It's good news that we preach. So when we talk about responding to the good news, then that's what we're talking about. Responding to great, great news. Responding to the gospel. And uh, it's outlined for us what that actually means in this verse in Timothy. Paul, a few years later, writes to his young disciple, young follower, follower, Timothy. And uh, has some things to say to him. Now, Timothy was not the authoritative, stand up with authority and boldness type of person. He wasn't that sort of person at all. He was very shy. He was a shy lad. He, was, he lacked confidence. He was young. He had a, was a re, had a retiring spirit. He was weak. He was frightened. He was timid, fragile. He was not very well physically. You can get use all of those things. And he came from a mixed family as well. So he starts off, Paul starts off by saying to Timothy, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, I know you're weak by yourself, but in Christ Jesus you can be strong. And then he goes on to say this, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men 
who will be able be qualified to each other also. Three things to say about that. First of all, it tells us that the gospel, the message, is not a silent message. He says, the things you have heard me say. It's not silent, it's things that are said and proclaimed. In other words, the glorious good news we're talking about is not some inward light that somehow or another some people pick up somehow. It's not something you pick up by osmosis when you go to church or something. It's not that at all. Neither is it something that is committed to people, communicated to people, just by being others who are kind. Now, of course, we should be kind to one another. Of course, we want to show the love of God in practice and so on. But there comes a time when the message has to be spoken so that people can hear it, preach it, so that people can hear it, communicated with words. That's why Christians preach. That's why we have sermons on a Sunday and talks. You know, there are some branches of the church that really ha never have any teaching or preaching. I can tell you something, those areas of the church are weak. Because we're called to proclaim the good news. John puts it like this when he wrote a letter himself a bit later on. He says, that which we have seen and heard, which we've looked at and touched with our hands, that we proclaim to you. In other words, there is a message to be communicated. That's why Jesus was called the Word of God, because he was God speaking to us. It's a message that must be preached. It must be heard. There's no other way of knowing the truth than hearing it spoken. It's not a silent message. That's why you should listen when you hear God's Word spoken. It is as if God was speaking. Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says we communicate as if we're communicating the very words of God. When we read this book, we should listen. It's not a silent message. But neither is it, secondly, a secret message. That which you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. It's not something that's done in a corner where you take somebody on one side and you just whisper in their ear, this is the secret message. Not that at all. It's a public thing. You've heard me say it in the presence of many witnesses. Openly. It's not a closed doors religion. There's no esoteric teaching that is only relevant to certain people who have been initiated. Secret rites for the initiated. What the Bible tells us is that what is valid for mature Christians is valid for new Christians. Now, of course, as we grow in Christ, the Hebrews reminds us that we grow spiritually so that some of the teachings like milk that we take in, some of it's like strong meat that we take it in, and we grow in our maturity. But all of the gospel is, uh, is available for all of us. There's no secret teaching like that for the select few. It's not a silent message, neither is it a secret message. And thirdly, neither is, is it a selective message. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Now, do you get that sort of sense of expansiveness in this? The message was entrusted by the Lord to Paul. Paul entrusted it to Timothy. Timothy entrusted it to reliable men. Reliable men entrusted it to others also. 
There's this expansiveness of it all. It's not selective at all. It's like, you know, a few years ago, when the Olympic Games took place, the Olympic came through Brockworth. We as a family went down to watch it. Crowds of people there, and the runner eventually came with the torch and so on. But that torch didn't get carried by that runner all the way from Olympia in Greece all the way to the Olympic Stadium. It was passed from one person to another person to another person to another person and so on until eventually it arrived at the Olympic Stadium. Passed from one hand to another. And the gospel is that which flows from the past through us to the future. And so on and so on. And it's from one generation to another. It's not selective at all. It's for all. Wherever you come from. It's not an Eastern religion. It's not a Western religion. It's for us all. The gospel is not a silent message, a secret message, or a selective message in that sense. Now, what have we got so far? How far have we got? First of all, the gospel is good news. It's a message of great joy. Secondly, it's to be heard. It's to be heard, not silent, secret, or selective. But then we have to ask this question. What is this message that we keep talking about? What actually does it consist of? What is this good news? And how do we respond to it? And this is where we come to the verses that we read together. These are a couple of those that we read in our Bible reading earlier on. And there's three or th- four things to say about this. First of all, to respond to this good news that you hear, we must not only um, just outwardly respond in an intellectual sense, but we must respond with understanding with understanding. It puts, Paul puts it like this, you believe in your heart. That means responding with understanding. Believe in your heart. You know, the heart, in the way the New Testament uses it, is the seat of our emotions and our will. It's the real us, we sometimes say. That's what he means. It doesn't mean that the physical organ that pumps blood. It means the, the inner core of our being, our heart. And we use it like that often ourselves. But the message has to be heard and to be understood. Now, what is that message? Well, he tells us two things. First of all, believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead. Now, that's shorthand. A little strange to us, but in the people to whom Paul was writing in the New Testament, wouldn't have been at all. But it's, it's a shorthand. It means, of course, all that Jesus did in dying on the cross and being raised to life again. That's what you need to understand, what was going on in that, uh, uh, th- at that time. Jesus was God's son, the Bible tells us, who died on the cross when God allowed him to be crucified. And as he did that, he was taking our sin upon himself so that we might be put right with God. That's what this shorthand means. It means the death and resurrection of Jesus. You know, the death of Jesus Christ, we could put it like this. The death of Jesus Christ was, first of all, voluntary. He said on one occasion, before he died, Jesus said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own will. It was voluntary. He died for you. It means on behalf of you, instead of you. He died for you. It was voluntary. Secondly, it was vicarious. He was doing it instead of me. He died because 
of my sin, so I need not bear the punishment of my sin. He took that punishment upon himself. He was smitten by God, it says in the Old Testament. He was bruised by God in the Old Testament. God gave my sin to Jesus so that I might know Jesus' life. It's vicarious. Voluntary and vicarious. He, di- he died on behalf of me. He died on behalf of you. His death was voluntary. It was victorious. Uh, uh, vicarious. And thirdly, it was victorious. Victorious. His resurrection was God saying, that's enough. All the sin of man has been dealt with in the sacrifice of my son, Jesus. My son's death completely satisfies my justice. You can put it like that. So hearing the message means believing with all my heart that Jesus died on the cross for me. He bore my sin in his body on the tree, it says in the Bible. That's what it means when it says, we believe in my heart that Jesus, God has raised him from the dead. But it also says, acknowledging him as Jesus, that Jesus is Lord. If we acknowledge Jesus is Lord, it means we know that he has a right to all. He's Lord. So turning from my sin, because God placed it on Jesus, I acknowledge that Jesus now has a right to all. And I commit to him. Jesus put it like this, or John put it like this, concerning Jesus. Yet to all who received Jesus, to those who believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God. As we believe in him, that is to say, we understand that he died for us and that it, it, he was dying for me. I open my heart and welcome all that he has done into my life. I receive him. Acknowledging him as Lord. So we respond with understanding. All that Jesus did and all that Jesus is is what we may say about those verses. Then not only do we respond with understanding, we respond with faith. Paul puts it like this. With your heart you believe and are, well, the old version, the old English puts justified. It means being put right with God. It's a word that comes from the law courts and it simply means being acquitted of our sin and put right with God. He, with your heart you believe and are put right with God. That's an act of faith. Recognizing Jesus died for you, you come and you commit yourself to him in real trust and real faith. There's a third thing. Not only do we respond with understanding and we respond with faith. Here's the key. We respond with words. With words. Here's how Paul puts it. If you confess with your mouth, did you notice that? With your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For which is with the heart that you believe and are put right with God, justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. A little bit later on he adds, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a case of, have you ever put it into words? Has that trust 
in what Jesus has done for you on the cross ever been expressed through your mouth? Have you ever told him? Have you ever thanked him? Have you ever expressed your commitment to him because of what he's done for you? Perhaps expressing it to others too. Perhaps expressing it to the Lord in fellowship with others, with somebody else. Putting it into words. In the Old Testament, it's exactly the same. Hosea chapter 14 verse 2 says this, when you're about the people of God returning to God, they says, it says this, Take words with you and return to the Lord. And say to him, Forgive our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Then it goes on to say, Also tell him that you'll never trust anything else. Take words with you. Now why? Why does God want us to put it into words? Do you remember the story? There's a story in the, Old, in, in the New Testament about Jesus. He was going into Jericho one day and there was a huge crowd and it was a terrible din because of the crowd. Last week, just two, two days ago, three days ago, I was in London and an American friend had not been to London except just the airport, not been to London. He wanted to just see a bit of London while he was there. So on the way back from some meetings, he said, can we go through the centre of town? And I said, well, it depends what you mean by the centre of town in London. He said, well, you know, I've heard of different parts. So we got off the tube at, at Piccadilly Circus, walked down to Trafalgar Square, from Trafalgar Square up to Leicester Square, and then back to Piccadilly. I thought it would be about 15 minutes. It is pretty close. You could do it in 15 minutes. But the crowds... It was so jammed it took us over an hour just to get there. He was amazed at the number of people. So was I. No English spoken. But anyway, it was the crowds there were. People milling around. And that's the sort of picture that gives us of when Jesus went into Jericho. There's this crowd going on. But there was a beggar man beside the road. His name was Bartimaeus and he was blind. He was there with his begging bowl. And no doubt he hoped that this big crowd would give him some, some money. Or some food or something. But he was there. And when he heard it was Jesus, he shouted out, Son of David, have mercy on me. All this din going on. And uh, yet Jesus heard him. And he said to the crowd, Wait, wait, wait. Bring him to me. And they said, Oh, this is a big crowd. He's only a beggar man anyway. This is a huge crowd going on. They said, Bring him to me. Do you know what Jesus said to him? What do you want me to do for you? <laughs> he was Jesus. Son of God, don't you think he knew? I mean, he was a blind man. He was a beggar man. Why did he ask him? Because Jesus wanted him to put it into words. On another occasion, Jesus went down to a pool outside Jerusalem called the Pool of Bethesda. And it was said that that pool was there and the, once a year it was stirred up by an angel. That was what was said anyway. And they decided that the first person that got into the water um, after it was stirred up would be healed of their diseases and so of course lots of sick people gathered around the pool waiting for that to happen jesus went down there one day and met a man there and the man by the pool of bethesda and the bible tells us he'd been there for 38 years That's where he lived and jesus said to him well why don't you get into the pool but he asked him a question the question he asked him was this do you want to be made well? Well, of course he did. That's why he was there. It's obvious it's, that's what he wanted. He wanted to be made well. Why did Jesus say it? Because he wanted him to put it into words. 
to express it to him. Jesus this morning wants to hear from you. If you want to know this good news that is so glad it makes you leap and and dance and sing for joy, so wonderful. Good news that deals with our sinfulness and separation from God. That deals with those things that are not right in our life. If If you want to know that good news, put it in. Tell him. Recognize that Jesus has died for you. He took your sin in his body on the tree, as it says. Now, the actual words you use don't matter too much, as long as it's the expression of your heart. Sometimes people respond and say, I want to receive Jesus. Great. Some people say, well, I just want to be sure. Some people say, well, I think I did something years ago, but I need to come back. I'm recommitting my life. Well, yes, all of those things. I don't want to be too defining it one way or other. It's just the putting your heart's desire into words. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts, you'll be saved. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with the mouth that you confess. And so you're saved. Are you willing to do that? This Sunday morning in April 2019 could be like a great doorway opening for you. A door into the presence of all that God has for you. All that good news and all the results of that good news. As you step into a new life with Jesus Christ. You say, what do I do? How do I do it? I'm going to pray now. And then I'm going to suggest something. At the end of our service, you say to the person that you want to. It could be me. It could be any of the other church leaders. Any Ben who's leading the service. Anybody that you know. Or perhaps the friend that you've come with or the person you're sitting with. To say, I want to pray. And pray together, putting into words your desire to trust Jesus Christ. And that's what it means to be saved. And that's just the start. It's not the end. It's just the start. Then the milk of God's word and the meat of God's word begin to be meaningful for you. So let me pray. And let's pause for a moment as I do so. Let us pray. Lord, in the quietness of this morning, your word speaks to us. Give us ears to hear, we pray. Give us a will to obey. Give us faith to trust what you say and give us the desire to tell you that we need you as Savior we need you as Lord so that we might know this good news not just in theory but in our lives day by day right now you might be able to in the quietness just quietly in your own heart Speak to the Lord Jesus. Maybe you've never done it before. As I said, the words themselves don't really matter. But tell him 
that you're thankful that he died for you. Tell him that you're thankful that his word is speaking to you. And tell him that you're willing to put all your trust in him as Jesus, making Jesus Lord of your life. So we thank you, Lord, for your Spirit's work in our hearts and lives day by day. And here this morning, help us, we pray, not to just let these things wash over us and disappear, but help us to walk with you day by day in the light of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So at the end of our service, in a few minutes' time, I'm going to suggest that you speak to somebody. Put it into words. As I say, the words themselves don't matter. But put it into words. Express it to the Lord. In a brief prayer with somebody. And if you confess with your lips, the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. If you're trusting him and what he's done as Savior and Lord.